Hello and welcome to Those Who Can't Do Podcast, a podcast centered on all things education. My name is Gina and I'm here with my co-host, editor, producer, and husband, Matt. Hello. (laughs) We are just two teachers navigating this crazy world we call teaching. In today's episode, we will be talking about the death of literature and the literary crisis we are in right now. So according to The Atlantic, um, reading scores since 1998 have flattened with just about a third of students performing at a level that the National Assessment of Educational Progress defines as proficient. So we need to ask the question, why? And to translate that into English, (laughs) it means the kids don't read good. No reading good. Okay. Uh, Well, and it doesn't mean, yeah, it just means that we haven't made any national progress. But the problem is, is that we've stalled at a level below the international average which is the concern. That means that our kids do not read as well as kids from other countries. So we will be covering three topics in today's podcast. Uh, the types are, so one, the types of reading, uh, te- oh my gosh, the types of reading text students are accessing today. Maybe, you know, I'm in that number apparently, 1998. You can't read good. <laughs> I don't read good. Okay, let's start over. Number one, the types of reading text students are accessing today. Two, should we be teaching literature that does not impact social relevance? And three, excerpts and their effectiveness in teaching skills and standards. So what types of reading texts are students accessing today? This is like, I mean, okay, because this, this idea kind of came from me for this podcast because I get asked a lot. Mm-hmm. by people that I meet, um, you know, just in conversation about teaching, who ask me, well, why don't you guys read anymore? Yeah. They ask me this point blank a lot. I get asked this all the time where, why don't you read books? Why don't you have this conversation? And it comes up a lot. So um, the thing is, is that students are, are reading less books, but they're accessing a lot of materials that wouldn't be considered literature. Yeah. Um, is what it comes down to. So they're, social media... Yeah. Um, you know, uh, visual novels, online, graphic novels. There's a lot of um, digital media that's coming across as reading, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily reading it. So, you know, different texts, long text forms on social media, you know, accessing different blog sites and that kind of thing. So a lot of it is digital, mm-hmm. but it, you know, and it, it translates to that students are not free reading in the same way that I used to free read, mm-hmm. um, which was we'd go to the library and get a bunch of books and I'd read them. Yeah. You know, or we would, you know, I would go to class and we would read a book, mm-hmm. but it was because we were, you know, I read all the time in, in classes and all over the place. We would just read, you know, it was just something to do to not be bored. <laughs> yeah. I had a student, he was a freshman when I had him and he had such a low reading comprehension, but he knew thing like everything he had. He was just this mind of information because he kept reading all these articles and and information about, so he'd always be able to throw in like facts about stuff that he read online. Why not click on that link to Wikipedia? Yeah. (laughs) Why not click on this thing that's going to take you to the Google homepage to give you a blurb about this topic? So he's reading, he's just not like reading books. So what the kids are really accessing today is more like social media, like you said, and more digital aspects. So they're not really sitting there with books. That's not to say books aren't happening. Yeah. Um, But the thing that's happening with students and books a lot, at least in my experience, is that books are, there are faster ways to absorb the information in a book than Mm -hmm. reading it. Yeah. Um, Students can look up 
very quick video summaries of information from the book. They're not reading the text word for word, mm -hmm. you know, so they'll prefer to seek out a faster means of getting this information rather than that that wasn't accessible mm -hmm. in previous generations. It wasn't there where you could go and figure out, you know, the quick, you know, the quick summary, you know, rather read three paragraphs of summary about what the book is about than go and read the yeah. book. Um, I've noticed and, a rise in audiobooks. And I've been guilty of this too. Yeah. In stuff where I know I don't have the time to read this thing. So I'm going to go look up what happened in it. Yeah. Just so I can be aware. So I know. When so I, I can engage in conversation. When I was commuting almost an hour at my first job. Um, yeah. I'd listen to an audiobook because that was almost two hours worth of, you know, reading that I got done in the car. So there's different sources of... Uh, reading and literacy that these kids are getting access to that we didn't necessarily have exactly. as um, accessible and so to it's us. That they're getting the information, but the skill set of reading at length, absorbing information and letting the story tell for itself mm -hmm. is something that's rare. It's in rarefied air at this yeah. point. Okay, so the second topic is about answering the question, should we be teaching literature that doesn't impact social relevance? As in, if it doesn't affect the students' lives today or have themes that can connect to students' lives today, should we be teaching it at all? And that, that asks the question if literature is universal. Yeah. Um, which is a very heady question for this, <laughs> for this lowly podcast. <laughs> it's not something that I think we can answer. But we can answer this idea that there, we just have to face the fact that there are texts that are relevant and texts that are not. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the literary canon that we all grew up with, yeah. the texts that were essential to read, maybe are not as you know effective as different types of literature coming in now. Yeah. Um, the one that I always think of that was huge when I was in high school, that was that was big when when you know when I was in middle school and that kind of thing was Catcher in the Rye. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved reading Catcher in the Rye because it was an angsty <laughs> teen that was on the edge. That was, you know, used used the big language and, mm -hmm. and smoked and did all this stuff that, you know, the teens did. And he could really connect. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading it. And even when I read it, it was like not 100% relevant yeah. to my life and, and to the lives of teenagers at that time. And that's the thing is like you go try to show Catcher in the Rye to these kids now and Holden is a joke. Mm -hmm. I mean, because even the profanity and language he's using is not even close to what they're going through and not even close to connecting to them. But you know who is? Who? Sherman Alexie from Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, which oh, just yeah. came out in the last 10 years, who uses the same kind of profanity, who has the same kind of social issues, who has the same kind of informational problems that he's going through, where he's dealing with alcoholism in his community. He's dealing with high drug rates. Yeah. He's dealing with bullying at a violent level. That stuff that maybe these kids are shocked by a little bit. Mm -hmm. But he approaches all of it with that same kind of like humor. Mm -hmm. And it's so much more connected and relevant. You know, there's these books that are, that are coming out now that that I think we have to acknowledge are going to be more relevant to, for the kids to read. So this literary canon idea, mm -hmm. maybe not the best approach. Well, it's that idea that like, do we... Should we be teaching books that are considered classics simply because they're classics? Or like you said, are there... Books maybe we can choose that 
you know, might not be considered a classic, but might be better for them to read. Maybe they can connect more. So I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have the answer to that, but do we have to be reading, you know, Pride and Prejudice all the time? Although I love that book, but do we, do they, is it relevant to their life right now? Not really. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing is like, well, and the other side of this, as far as cultural relevance is in, you can see it in To Kill a Mockingbird, mm -hmm. where is it a good idea to teach To Kill a Mockingbird to a large majority of Mexican and Hispanic students? Mm. Because the relevance of To Kill a Mockingbird is an example to white people mm -hmm. to how to react to racial issues. Mm -hmm. And Atticus Finch is supposed to be that hero to them. Yeah. But that doesn't hit the same way in a class of minorities. Yeah. It doesn't work the same way because it's, you know, it's Atticus Finch coming in and saving the day as the white hero. Yeah. Is that the thing that maybe we should be teaching? I don't know. When especially there's more relevant stuff, such as A Lesson Before Dying, mm -hmm. which is an incredibly, you know, intricate story about, you know, a, a black man who's a teacher, who's educated, who's going in and trying to make an argument for a black man who's been falsely accused on death row that his life has meaning. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a more relevant story to tell within the legal system that's going to be something that, you know, people could latch onto in a literature course in a different way. Well, and I have to always sit here and think that because for the seventh graders, I teach The Pearl by John Steinbeck and I teach um, The Outsiders. The Pearl is, you know, a Mexican heritage, you know, for, you know, these natives in Mexico dealing with the colonists of, uh, from Spain. And there is that, but it's kind of outdated. And the only, I chose it because I have a high Hispanic um, population, but it's, and it's a great book, but that doesn't really I have that much of a connection to them. But The Outsiders does because it's about two groups of people who hate each other for simply because they are not part of their own group. Yeah. And that is very relevant to my students at my school because there are two groups that hate each other simply because I'm this and you're that. And so, you know, I like the Pearl. I teach it. I'm, you know, but I don't think it's necessarily going to help them with their actual social lives like the outsiders is because I can sit there and when there's that fight at school and they say that group did this and I can turn it around and use the outsiders and bring in those, those themes with it. Well, and I so, guess it is. And I think theme is the question. Yeah. Are we teaching themes and lessons or mm -hmm. are we teaching the literature? It, yeah. Are we teaching this? Cause if it's about connectivity, mm -hmm. you have to teach something that connects and you can't ignore that. You can't sit there and teach a book that doesn't connect. But if it's not about that, if it's about that they need to know mm -hmm. about Huckleberry Finn, they need to know about... <laughs> I don't know if know, they need to, necessarily. These, you know, Lamorte de Arthur. If yeah. they need to know and have read, you know, books by St. Augustine, if they need to have all this stuff that maybe isn't 100% connected to their world, but they need to know the literature of it, oh, the, the, so that's they, a different question then. You see what I'm saying? Because is yeah. it just about connectivity? Or do they actually need to have... Do they need to sit down and understand who Jane Austen was well, then and read her book? That, and that know? brings up the idea of like when uh, authors allude to something where they make that allusion reference and they're like, oh, you know, they're talking about 
Lancelot. And if they don't know who Lancelot is, then they miss this reference in whatever they're reading. Because I'm I'm teaching Hamilton with my eighth graders. We just finished, and there was a reference to uh, Lancelot. And you know, I asked them, "Do you even know who Lancelot well, is?" And, and they had to Google it. And I think that there is literature that's irreplaceable. There there mm-hmm. are certain books that you just can't counter or bring up in a different context. I think that Machiavelli's The Prince is something that's so so relevant mm-hmm. to leadership in in understanding how leaders should and should not behave. As an example and as an argument piece, I think you have to look at that particular book. I think there's certain books that are just, I mean, if you're talking about revenge, you have to read Count of Monte Cristo Mm. because it's just the absolute ultimate story of why you should never pursue revenge. Mm -hmm. So as a theme and as an author's point, you have to look at that. But as relevance, who cares about, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Dante's and whether or not he's going to get revenge on this Italian mercenary. You know, it just doesn't make any relevance to, to, to anything. So I guess that kind of answers it. I think, you know, if you can, you can teach new or classic literature as long as you make, you kind of make the theme very available to the students to understand. And in that regard, you can connect it to them. Because, you know, revenge is a big theme of life. Like, should I get revenge on that person who did that thing to me? You read uh, and you find out that maybe not, you know, things like that. And so I think the idea of theme in literature is more important. And as long as a teacher can connect the, the theme to the students' lives, it really doesn't necessarily matter if it's a classic literature book and a lot or of that, not. Yeah, a lot of it falls on the teacher. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. A lot of it falls in the teacher's lap to actually talk about. So, uh, yeah. So the final topic of today's episode is about excerpts and their effectiveness in teaching skills and standards. So Matt, explain to us what that means exactly. So it's just timing. Um, it's the amount of time you have with the students and the amount of time they have outside of class. Um, they don't have, the argument is that they simply don't have time to sit and read mm-hmm. for a class period because of maximum you know, hours Mm -hmm. that the teacher has with the student. And so when they sit down in the classroom, you have, you have to hit them every single minute, Mm -hmm. according to district and, you know, (laughs) state standards, you have to be hitting them with information. They have to be making a connection every single minute that they're sitting in your class. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate method of making that effective is by not reading an entire book. By getting the theme of the book and then reading a small section, close reading, Mm -hmm. um, which means to break down, analyze, you know, you pick the entire text apart, you pull out specific words, you go through and and put put that section of the text under a microscope and spend like a week just ripping it to pieces Mm -hmm. and then writing something in response to it. Mm-hmm. that's like this excerpt mentality. And whether that's the best method of, of understanding literature, I don't know. Because I don't think that any human being ever reads anything that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think lawyers go through their briefs and look at that. I don't think doctors sit there and measure their textbooks by doing that. I think they definitely take notes. I think they definitely study. Mm-hmm. I think that in any field you're going to do that. But I think that you know, going under a microscope with these texts is not the best way to go about it. Yeah. But the idea is that, okay, you know, sitting there and trying to teach To Kill a Mockingbird is a 500-page novel. Reading 500 pages is going to take upwards of 20 to 24 hours of reading time, mm-hmm. right? 
or, or around there. And that's if you're fast. Most of the time it's going to take about 30 hours. Yeah. So the kids are going to have to put 30 hours into reading this book. Yeah. In class time, that translates to three to four weeks, mm-hmm. right? If you were to spend every class period reading. But you can't do that because no. you have to teach all these other subjects. You have to get the kids moving on projects, get the kids moving yeah. on items and stuff. So can you trust them to do it at home? Well, <laughs> kids' home lives have changed drastically. Mm. compared to what we were dealing with i think in that you know there are after school non-stop activities that are moving all the time to keep them engaged mm-hmm. right and a lot of that is because you know they have priorities outside of school i think there's there were always kids that didn't read and there were always kids that did mm-hmm. but i think it's the gap has widened so significantly because english classes are also competing i'm sorry i've been talking for a long time <laughs> you haven't really jumped in i'm all. just listening I think that the, <laughs> I'm trying to like, I don't know, I'm, I'm taking the scenic route here. English <laughs> class is competing with other classes for the amount of time that kids spend on your work. Uh-huh. And so the kid can either choose to do these 15 concrete chemistry problems uh-huh. or choose to sit down for a half hour with your book. Yeah. Now they're not going to, they're going to pick the one that has obvious straight results. They can do those 15 problems and go show their parents and say, I did these 15 chemistry problems. I did my homework, mom. Whereas if they say, did you read this book? Yeah, "Yeah, mom. Well, that, It's like, that's the thing. It's like, that's, so an excerpt guarantees the kid is going to read your book. But let's face it, in an English class, you know, if you, if you happen to have a group of kids who are going to go home and actually read, you know, chapters two and through four today or whatever, um... If, let's say you actually got the kids to do that. Why would they? If I'm going to sit there and talk about it all next class, well, I'm going to exactly. cover all the. I'm going to cover the basics of what happened. I'm going to cover the themes that went down, the important events, uh, the significant parts of that chapter or chapters. Why would you like? Why wouldn't you just sit there and take notes in the class and, and study whatever I said to you instead of that, going in reading assign, it? If you assign chapter seven through ten of the Outsiders. Do you know what they're going to do? They're going to go Google chapter 7 or 10 of The Outsiders and read three paragraphs and know exactly what happened and show up to class and be fine. Yeah, and if I ask them, uh, tell me what happened with it, you know, whatever, and they'd so be able to kind of be like, uh, I think it was like are, this. You are, then... as an English teacher, in direct competition with everything else mm-hmm. to get the kids to read. And the excerpt method, so taking a small section of your text and getting the kids to read that, Maybe alongside of, so let's say it's an irrelevant book. It's a book that you can't connect to their lives because it's pulled out of some historical thing that has nothing to do with it. If you take an excerpt from that book and read it alongside of this article that was written yesterday Mm -hmm. and alongside of this song that came out, you know, this year and then alongside of this TED Talk, Mm -hmm. the equivalent of reading all of that stuff, everyone would think... Is, irrele- is relevant to them having sat down and read 25 pages of your book. Yeah. They've achieved the same amount of reading. They've connected it to modern ideas. And they've, they've sat down and examined all these different pieces. And then you can have a discussion about where it actually all connects to yeah. theme. Now, the problem is, is that by doing that, you are taking everything out of context. Mm-hmm. You, rip the, you rip the section of the book out of wherever it was meant to be read, mm-hmm. right? So you have no connection to characters. You have no connection to the author. You have no connection or investment to anything happening so far. 
And you have to try to sell kids on it. Yeah. So you basically have to sit there and come up with the coolest thing you could possibly say about this book and get them to be like, oh, yeah, we kind of like this character that you made up off the top of your head is what it <laughs> sounds like, but you haven't. Because there's another 200 pages of story before this section. Yeah, and the, the great thing about, you know, The Outsiders is you know the build of the characters and you get to know them there's like a whole the whole first chapter is just details about them and so when you get to the spoilers part where you know johnny and dally die it, it's moving to them so just taking just that you know just taking pieces of the outsiders you're not going to get that impact and, and that love they have for the characters in the book and then that kind of ruins reading also because you're not letting that whole the characters build the narrative build and well, so and it's hard to me, take the excerpts. thing that killed me is that there's an expert in my because i'm reading you know i'm in my 10th grade class right now there's an excerpt from um oh i can't remember his name I don't remember the author's name. Into uh, Into the Wild. Oh. Um, which is, uh, it's a story that's about Chris McCandless, who goes out and lives in a bus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John Krakauer. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick Google search. <laughs> it's John Krakauer wrote Into the Wild, which is about Chris McCandless going out into the wild and living out there for a given amount of time where he then eventually dies from starvation and exposure. <laughs> spoilers. Um, and no, 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 it's not spoilers because they tell you that it's the first line of the book that Chris McCandless dies. And the whole is purpose, really? I don't remember that. The whole purpose of the book is to determine why a young man with college prospects would throw thousands of dollars away of his college education, not go get a job, burn his wallet, burn his car drive off into the middle of nowhere and then live his life as a bum before dying in the wilderness of Alaska. Why would he do this? And the entire book breaks down every aspect of his life and basically forensically explores why this kid would do this, mm -hmm. right? And kids, when they sit down and they start reading, and, and this is the thing, this is a book that I have experienced now reading the entire book with the class and reading an excerpt from. Mm -hmm. And the excerpt that's currently in this 10th grade English book that we're using that's from Into the Wild is about the chapter where Chris McCandless dies mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Which, when you read the book, this is the last chapter. Oh. So you, you know he's going to die the entire book. And it walks you through where he went in America and everyone he had connections with, all the McDonald's that he worked at, you know, everything that he did in order to stay alive, and his mentality of having read Walden and having gone into the wilderness as Thoreau and having gone through all this stuff. You break down over hundreds of pages this kid's life. And mm -hmm. why he made the decisions that he did to do this insane voyage out into Alaska that failed tremendously. And it wasn't even his fault that he died. He ate a berry that was listed as non-poisonous in his book that was actually poisonous. Aww. That's why he died. So he did it. He was so successful. And so you get to the end of this book and the, the excerpt from it is the chapter where he writes his last journal entry where he's a scared little kid in this bus just crying his eyes out like a wimp and dying in the wilderness. And if you read it out of context, it makes him look like the dumbest idiot that could have lived. Because he was! Out of context, Chris McCandless made a terrible mistake. You have to read the book to understand why this is an absolute travesty mm -hmm. for American culture to have let this kid down so hard that this was his only method of feeling alive. 
And, that, and yet you go read this chapter. That's the only section they have to read. So here's my thing. I'm sitting there as a teacher, and I got to try to sell these kids on this idea that Chris McCandless is not an idiot yet. <laughs> like, we can't sell him that. But then you sit there and read it, and he's crying for his mommy in this car as he, as he slowly dies from the elements. And it's just pitiful. But when you get there, you have read 250 pages of this kid's life. It is, it is so sad, especially when you realize it wasn't even his fault. It was a mistake with the brochure that he picked up. I mean, like, it's so sad. And yet, the kids read it and literally laugh him out of the classroom. They're just like, what an idiot to go out. He didn't even prep. He didn't bring anything, any of his correct gear. What a moron for going and doing this. He tried to eat rancid meat. What a dummy. I mean, it's like, that's what, it's so, it, it is an absolute like disaster that they bothered to put this excerpt in. Thank Sorry, you I know that's a huge rant. for listening to our Into the Wild <laughs> synopsis and saying, analysis by for Matt me, the For me, the <laughs> idea of excerpts is absolutely breaking in English class. You're, you're ruining it. <laughs> because uh, you're doing I, I that agree. to a book. I agree. It, you, and the point of this was you either have to commit to reading excerpts of things or commit to reading a book and at the end of the day you're not really going to be able to read as many books as you might i can read two books a year with uh, middle schoolers and that's about it i'm not going to be able to do anything else if i add another well, and that's book. the thing it's like with my honors english class i can cover eight nine books in a year if they're but but the honors reads yeah well that's the difference they, they sit down and they'll, they'll pick your class over it because they're honors and they're not going to care as much about their their chemistry or their math class yeah they're choosing english other kids won't it's true and, and that goes deeper into the type of kid but you know so uh these are all things that we think so let's end these are all with, things that we, we think. think these things and we have our opinions yeah i mean yeah, um you need it you need it and it's got to work that way okay so my final question is first for matt I know that there's only two of us. I'll get there. Uh, Matt, do you think we are truly in a literary or literacy crisis right now? Uh, the evidence would point to saying yes. Okay. The evidence points to yes because it's just reading scores would say that kids don't are not able to read as well or as much as they did when I know when I was in school. I would definitely agree because it's really hard because. Uh, it's really hard to get kids to read the directions right now. They just have this hate. I don't know if it's a hatred, okay, but they but just was, don't like but reading things. But that's true things. through that. But it's, it is this idea that there's no excitement mm -hmm. when you hand them a new book. Cause, and this is my English nerd coming out. Mm -hmm. Somebody hands me a new book. I, oh, am, yeah, I, know. I am excited. I'm ready to get into it. I'm like, I can't wait to meet these characters. I can't wait to get into this new world. Yeah. I can't wait to sit there and break apart, you know, something that, you know, somebody else has spent hours and days of their life making. I can't wait to do it. Yeah. And I don't see that in a lot of kids' lives. It's where true. you hand them a book and it's it is a chore. They yeah. don't want it because it's, I guess it's work. And it would be work. If it you don't work. understand the words, if someone were to hand me a book that was in a different language, I yeah. wouldn't feel the same way because I obviously can't, Yeah. I can't read it. I can't access it. I have no idea what the words are. And so like, and that's the same thing. You know, someone hands me a book that's in Spanish. I'm sitting there. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a B 
big chore for me because yes i know the words but it's gonna take me forever to read it it's, yeah. a, it's a huge amount of work so what are some ways we can improve students literacy the the approach okay well i can talk to the approach being done right now um which is to encourage literacy in all classes um, yeah, and that's, that's disciplinary the literacy. Yeah, interdisciplinary literacy is the approach that a lot of places around America are taking right now, which is to say, texts need to be accessed in every class. So mm -hmm. to encourage direct reading in mm -hmm. every class, and English to provide support for how to direct read, so that the English class is no longer assigning the reading. The English class is assigning how to read, and then the kids use the reading skills. In, in the rest of their classes. classes. Yeah. That's the mentality being used right now. The problem is, is that other teachers have no interest in that. No, they and don't. And they completely ignore it and, and throw it off. So if you're like, oh, well, what are you reading right now? They haven't read anything in their math or chemistry class in years. Yeah. They just don't read any of it. They don't read the textbook. There's no instructions in the textbook other than the problem list. There's no, like, they get packets that, that don't mm. have... Because I remember I used to get... You know, in these in these in these science classes, I would get you know you'd have the chapter you'd have to read, and then you'd have a bunch of science problems to do yeah. that were in a separate packet, right? Well, they don't they don't get the book anymore. They no, just they get the don't. packet, and they well, don't read yeah. any of it. Man, the science because the science teachers just tell them it. The science department at our school haven't they haven't had a textbook in years. They just they grab things that they can. Oh, I know. I saw the diagram yeah. of yeah. of the original whatever Boreas atom. Yeah. The one that's the circles. Yeah. That's completely irrelevant now. That's not how an atom is structured. <laughs> it's like that's that's been wrong for like 20 years. So and they, yet it's, yeah. they're still teaching kids that the atom so is yeah. structured with the nucleus and then the big rings on the outside. I can't that's blame, not even relevant. I can't blame a sci the science department uh, across, you know, all yeah, the, I the schools that like... I wouldn't want my kids that either. But if we want literacy, then you have to encourage it. Yeah, well, I can't blame them for not wanting to like be on board with like adding more reading. Because they're like, do you know how hard it is to accumulate all well, of this info of right now without a textbook? <laughs> The math scores are suffering now because of this. Mm -hmm. Because of the, of the yeah. interdisciplinary literacy, math questions now have to be real world specific. Yeah. And allowing kids to solve math problems without the real world context makes the math a lot easier. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to solve for X when that X doesn't mean anything. Mm. But when that X actually means something in the real world connecting it to a paragraph of writing and ask the kids to read that paragraph and then create some kind of equation based off of it is destroying math scores right yeah now. across the board math is tanking right now yeah and everyone hates common core math like across the board yeah. and it's because common core math includes this idea of disciplinary literacy they're bailing english out yeah. And getting bombed in the process mm -hmm. by doing this because the math scores are connected heavily to kids being able to read and infer details from this math equation Yeah, that is no longer an equation. I remember getting a list in algebra of problems without a single word written on the page. Yeah. It's just a list of a bunch of equations. And I look at a kid's math textbook now and that is not what it looks yeah. like. There are, there are paragraphs and paragraphs of reading to do mm -hmm. in order to determine the relevant information to put the equation together for yourself. Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, it's a good idea. Which I but, can do. You know, I can do that. It's hard to do. Because I've, I've done those 70, 80 problems of math, you know, a mm -hmm. day. 
that was like that was what we had to do and so like i've done all those so i know what context to look for but without that it's hard I would also say that uh, to improve students' literacy, I think it starts at home. I think parents need to sit and read with, I know that's not always possible, but you know, if a parent sits and reads with a, a child at an early age, uh, it be, statistics and data have shown that students' reading abilities go up if they start reading very young and if the parents are heavily involved. Yeah, but then you have Melon with over 720 hours of texts being read that are little kid books on YouTube. What is that? Would it be better for them? <laughs> it, I'm saying, like, okay, yeah, for elementary school kids, it's great for their parents to sit down and read with them. No, or but they I'm could talking. Or a YouTube video of Coco Melon singing the oh. song to them for 720 hours of time. I know. I meant, but the, there's an experience with reading with your parents. It's like, oh, we're reading together. It, be, it becomes like a love for literacy and literature. I know, that's fine and all, but, you know. Hey, man, I'm answering my million, own questions. 50 my million people disagree with you. I <laughs> that are subscribed to this channel right now. It's my, like that's the, a, hey, the statistics are in my favor though, okay? It's true, but I'm just saying like that's the thing is like English and literature as a as a subcategory because, okay, are in direct competition. Because what I'm saying is kids don't want to read because they think reading's like a chore and they they hate it. But if like they grew up loving books the way you did, the way I did, then it's not a chore anymore. It's something fun or interesting or know, a I character agree. they get to and meet. And you know what? Those students are there. Of course. They're, they're still there. They'll always be there. And they're they're interested. It just seems like across the board. Mm-hmm. there's it's it's this combination of we have to teach this as a skill we can yeah. no longer focus on the theme and literature behind it so we want to know what our listeners think so follow us on twitter instagram and facebook where we will post uh this following question what are some ways you think will help improve students literacy we will post the question uh the tuesday so uh the day after this airs um, so we can hear from what you guys think. And we really want to know what, you know, should kids be reading this way? Yeah. Should they be accessing the books this way? Do you think that what we're doing right now is good? So, uh, yes, we want to know, we want to hear from you cause we have our opinions as you hear all the time. Um, but we want to hear from what you guys think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget to nominate a teacher of the week, guys. Email us or DM us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Those Who Can't Do Podcast. You can always find us online there. Uh, download our episodes direct on uh, Transistor. We're also on iHeartRadio now. Woo-hoo. Yeah, we're up on iHeartRadio. So thank you guys that are tuning in. We also got a couple of new uh, people listening from West Virginia. So good to hear from you guys. West Virginia. Sorry. Good song. It makes me think of them every yeah, time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. As always, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>